Hello, welcome to World War II, The Key Questions, answered by me, Lawrence Rees. I specialised in writing books and making television documentaries about World War II, the Third Reich and Stalinism for many years, and my latest book, Hitler and Stalin, The Tyrants and the Second World War, has recently been published here in the UK and in America. In this podcast, talking to my daughter Camilla, I'm going to do something a bit different and give my answer to the key question, is it valid? to compare Donald Trump to Adolf Hitler. I was wondering what you thought about that being a comparison. First point to make is, if you go online, pretty much everyone at some point is compared to compared to Hitler. There's a Godwin's law, isn't there, which is that the longer any internet debate goes on, the more likely it is that someone's going to be compared to Hitler and the Nazis. So at one level, you say, actually, in social media, <laughs> accusations of being like Hitler or Nazis are, are, are thrown at each other all the time. The interesting thing about Trump is that there are some character traits, some personality traits, some leadership traits that actually, I think there is some value in looking at Hitler and seeing how he was operating in a not dissimilar way. What's vital to say about that is nobody is saying, and it would be nonsensical to say, that A, Trump is another Hitler, first of all, because there can't ever be another Hitler, because Hitler was a a unique genetically formed individual who lived at a particular time in a particular place. That can never be replicated. And secondly, because you've got to remember the level of crime and criminality and appalling results on the world that happened with Hitler. The reason people want to, when they're saying someone's they despise is like Hitler, is because Hitler is almost the ultimate standard of horror given the terrible crime of the Holocaust and genocidal policies and so on. And no one is saying that that Trump is approaching that. But nonetheless, I think opening up a discussion about similarities in terms of character and personality traits actually is quite useful. Do you think that there are barriers in terms of the just the time periods that also prevent us from doing that comparison? Or is it still justified? My own view is that history doesn't offer lessons. It can't offer lessons because history cannot repeat itself. So you can't say like a scientific experiment, mm. ah, and look at this situation, it will produce this result. That's what science can do. I think history does have a purpose, though, in offering us warnings. That's why I, I called the original series I made on this more than 20 years ago, the original television series, Nazis, a warning from history, because I think there are warnings that one can take from history. Just to give you one example, one one warning I think that's of use is for people to realise that in 1928, the Nazis only got 2.6% of the vote. They were a they were perceived by many people as a, as a joke party. And yet in 1933, just a few years later, Hitler is the most popular politician in terms of votes of anybody in Germany and, is, and, and becomes, through various backdoor dealings at the end, becomes Chancellor of Germany. So therefore, you can see how suddenly things can grow. Another warning I take from this history, for example, is that the fragility of democracy it doesn't surprise me when democracies can be under threat. People seem to think that the institutions around us are much firmer than actually they often are. And Trump absolutely bears that out. The fact is that Germany was a functioning democracy in the 1920s. And then in the elections of 1932, a majority of Germans in voting either for Hitler or for the German communists knowingly voted democracy away. So when everyone says democracy, once it's set, once it comes, it's set and stays, 
I think that's a nonsense. So those are just a few examples of how I think actually his this particular history can be of use. And do you think that that means that there's some elements of the past or at least within the last kind of century or so somewhere you know the past that isn't too distant from us that there are kind of concrete as you've described them warnings that are still relevant today that it's not just because that because it happened a long time ago it's kind of swept up and isn't relevant anymore that you can and in that sense then you can still compare two figures despite them coming from two different I'm wary of doing it. I'm absolutely wary of, wary of doing it. But for me, reading the recent slew of books about Trump by people who've worked closely with him, it's extraordinary to me how much of it has chimed with knowledge I already have of Hitler and the Nazis. It's, it, that was quite extraordinary. And, and I do think it's worth discussing, just to give you a few examples. First of all, it seems to me that in terms of personality, Hitler and Trump shared at least one thing, which is they're two of the angriest people that they are. They, they're fueled by this anger and they they communicate that anger to their followers who are also angry and they stoke it and they hype it up. This is this is this. These are both movements that are fueled by anger. They're also fueled by conspiracy theories central to Hitler's ability to gain an audience and to gain power was his focus on conspiracy theories. Crucially, his idea that there was this so-called stab in the back during the First World War that meant that Germany lost the First World War because Jews back in Germany uh, somehow plotted against troops on the front line. It's a nonsense, of course, but nonetheless, it was believed. Similarly, Trump is fueling conspiracy theories most recently about the election. And conspiracy theories, I think, are an incredibly interesting political tool, because what they do is they first of all say to an audience who feels disenfranchised, don't worry, it's not your fault. You're not to blame for what's happened. And secondly, what they what they do is they mean that they, they play to this notion inside most people or a lot of people rather, whether it's most or not, I don't know, but a lot of people that there is hidden forces in control, that, that there's a there's a kind of a secret regime going on. I think that's one of the powers, in parentheses, one can say, of gossip. It's fascinating in uh, Harari's book, Sapiens, he talks about one of the first uses of language was gossip. And gossip was valuable because it let people in into knowledge of what other people are doing behind the scenes. So I think that's one of the reasons why conspiracy theories can be so powerful. Just on, um, just on conspiracy theories, that's a really interesting point because obviously we've all been aware recently of the conspiracy theories that Trump has been kind of more heavily relying on. And I think it was Michael Cohen in one of his books when he's talking about Trump embracing conspiracy theories, where he says that Trump really does believe them and believe that the more that you say something, it becomes true as you say it. And I think you said in one of your recent books how Hitler really did believe these conspiracy theories as well. Do you think that 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 comparison that they both use conspiracy theories is even more telling about their own personalities that they felt they could almost control the truth? Yes, yes, I do. I think that what, what you see is this this sense that in both of them they both they both share this belief that nothing that goes wrong is ever their fault that's a crucial crucial thing to hold on to nothing is ever their fault so therefore when they're faced with things going wrong for them 
It has to be someone else's fault because they cannot be at fault. So therefore, they have to convince themselves, they have to convince themselves that there are these outside forces, that there are people plotting and so on. It's it's a vital part of their psyche to do that. I think it allies with their lack of certain human qualities, which I think is a really interesting thing to think about. It's interesting that both Hitler and Trump lack close intimate relationships. Uh, I think that, again, in Michael Cohen's book, he talks about how Trump said something to him about his wife, like, oh, well, if she's unhappy, I can always get another wife. I mean, he he never appears to be that's desperately in love with this woman. I mean, think of all of the sexual allegations against him. And Hitler, was, for all of the sort of opaque and sensationalist often allegations about his own sex life, in terms of his relationship with Eva, Eva Braun, Albert Speer remarked on how Hitler openly in front of Eva Braun said a man, intelligent man, should be involved with a stupid woman. I mean, the, there is no partnership here. These, these people, Hitler and Trump, seem to me to be fundamentally alone. An ally to that is the lack that both have absolutely of a sense of empathy. A number of people who've worked for Trump have remarked on that. And also, crucially, a sense of humour. Neither seem to possess much of a sense of humour. They laugh, but they laugh only at the misfortune of others. And do you think that there are a lot of people like that who exist in the world? And it just so happened that both Hitler and Trump got two points of power and they're both like that. The first point, general point, I guess, to make is that it, it's a spectrum. I don't think that characters like Hitler and Trump are in this box and everyone else isn't like that. Mm. I think lots of people have problems with intimacy or problems perhaps with a sense of humour or problems with expressing empathy and so on. What you've got here is extreme examples. And I think that that also what you've got to recognise, as all decent historians do, is that you can't consider individuals, and this is one of the problems with the comparison at all, you can't consider individuals outside of the circumstances of the time that they're in. With regard to Hitler, Hitler can only get power because of the circumstances of the time. An interaction between his own personality, what he's achieved uh, so far, and the circumstances of the time. Similarly, Trump only came into power because of the interaction between himself and the circumstances of the time. But, But I was in America last year, and one of the things that I found shocking, and I was interested to see the BBC reporter reported this the other day when he was talking to some Trump supporters. I met some Trump supporters. And what was it quite extraordinary about it was the certainty of their opinions and absolute refusal to be challenged on them, to debate them in any way that we would understand normal political discourse. They were fixed views that were demonstrably inaccurate because they were based on false facts and conspiracy theories and you and it and it was terrifying because what you see is that if people believe in this terrible nonsense they're unreachable when the storming of the capital happened in the immediate aftermath there were people saying oh no it wasn't trump supporters it was hidden elements within them that were doing it and you suddenly realize oh my god there's absolutely no way of reaching these people this core, twist anything. this core. But I think they're a core. It's interesting, you see, it's like a core of true believers of, of Hitler. And then 2.6% in 1928. And then suddenly he's getting a massive increase in the vote 
a few years later. That, those people, that doesn't seem to me, have suddenly become core Hitler believers. What they are is making a choice between all the various options available to them and thinking, oh, actually, I'll give, give Hitler a go, rather like people thought, well, I'll give Trump a go. But you still have this core of people, and that core of people are, are extremely potentially dangerous. So in terms of the areas of comparison there, Obviously, we kind of covered the personalities themselves of Hitler and Trump. Do you think that there's any, are there any other areas to compare in terms of their, or any areas of similarity in terms of either their, their motivations or the way that they attempt to hold on to power or to also grow their power? What you want, if you're a dictator, what you want is never to give up power. Hitler was clear once he got power in 1933, he was never giving it up. Trump, I think what's frightening is I don't, I don't think Trump, once he came into power four years ago, uh, had any real intentions of giving it up. I don't think he was ever going to walk away from, from power. I don't think myself that if he did another four years, I think he'd have tried to alter the constitution so that he would stay longer. This is a, a, a character who can't go. And of course, one of the problems about being a dictator is that you've, of course, turned on your enemies and punished your enemies whilst you're in power. You've also inevitably committed crimes or inevitably done things that people want to find um, a reckoning with you for, which means, of course, you can't leave. Putin is facing this at the minute. I mean, what do you do if you're a dictator and you find actually you get into, uh, of get become of a certain age and you might want to retire? What do you do? How do you retire? Because people will be coming after you. The end game for dictators is often a big problem for them. To what extent do you think the points that you've already raised are similar across just dictators generally? And it's just that Trump isn't particularly like Hitler, but he just is what he was, a beer dictator. Well, what I can speak to is, you know, as you know, my latest book is Hitler and Stalin as a comparison between Hitler and Stalin during the Second World War. And I can certainly say I don't think Trump's like Stalin. And the reason he's not like Stalin is that Stalin was not a charismatic leader. Stalin was someone who worked and came up through a bureaucracy. Stalin went to meetings a lot. He knew how meetings worked. His power base was the whole administrative sector of the Soviet Union that he was on top of all the time. He was reading everything that was coming to him. He was absolutely clear on things. Trump and Hitler are both charismatic leaders. What does that mean? I'm, I'm using the term in the way that Max Weber, the German uh, sociologist, first coined it more than 100 years ago. And I'm using it not to mean that they're nice people because they possess charisma. We say the word charisma now meaning a positive thing. Actually, philosophical and analytical terms, it's, it's a neutral term. It, it is simply a description of a type of leadership. What is a charismatic leader? A charismatic leader is someone who relies on their own power of personality, chiefly through their rhetoric, to be able to excite, to move a crowd, to give certainty of vision to their supporters. Charismatic leaders don't necessarily need to read a lot. There was a famous report of a uh, comment about Hitler in the 1930s saying he, he actually managed to get decisions made by not even reading the relevant papers because he thought he knew the best anyway. I mean, that's something he absolutely shares with Trump. There's all this evidence that Trump actually had terrible problems getting Trump to read. Art of the deal, the, uh, that was ghostwritten for him by somebody else. So the fact is that, that you're not looking at someone here who is in any way 
similar to either Hitler or, or, or Trump are similar to a dictator like Stalin because they're charismatic leaders and charismatic leaders are operating in a different way. And that actually, and I think charismatic leaders are ones that can actually function more in suborning power from a democracy in a way that Stalin didn't have to. Stalin came in with uh, Lenin and others by by a violent overthrow of revolution. Trump didn't come in that way. And Hitler actually came to power through a, a democratic process of the time in terms of the process of appointment by Hindenburg and so on. So therefore, in terms of our world of that we are fortunate enough to live in democracies, it, the particular warnings that we have to take away from us are charismatic leaders because they often can be the most dangerous. Interestingly enough, both Hitler and Trump as charismatic leaders, part of their appeal was that they were not normal politicians. Hitler had held no political office before becoming chancellor. Trump had held no political office before becoming before becoming president. These figures play on the fact that actually they have no experience. That becomes a plus to their audience because then they are actually supposedly coming in fresh and aren't tainted by all these people who are the traditional political political establishment. And it seems to me that's something to think about when you see someone coming from left field with no experience. It's actually, you know, it's perceived, was perceived in both of those cases in Hitler and Trump as a blessing. It needn't necessarily be a blessing at all. Trump, it also seems, is has this privilege of not being taken seriously. Do you think that Hitler also had something like that where... Were people in Nazi Germany always surprised when he actually delivered on the things that he said he was going to do or whenever he did something as abhorrent? Because I think living through the Trump presidency, everyone knew who he was at the beginning. And yet we've been surprised again and again and again of him doing these terrible things when looking back, you don't know why we were. I think partly the reason so many people have been surprised is they haven't actually known him or studied his record. I think what's interesting is that when you read the books of people who were close with him, like people like Michael Cohen, actually, I don't know that there's a great deal of surprise necessarily at, at what he's doing and where he's been. I've met people who felt when Hitler came to power in 1933, it was only temporary that he wouldn't last very long, that he could be controlled by the other parties and so on. So, so yes, there, there were people who felt that just like there were people who felt that about Trump. But I don't know that the people, the core people, the, the, the core team around Hitler, I don't think, were surprised at the way it went in terms of them holding on and gaining power. So few, few of them might have been surprised at the way it w- went in the end, but they were chiefly surprised because they lost. Well, so that brings us to kind of the final key question of what is the use of this comparison to put it bluntly like what is the point of knowing it first of all it's got to be a value to understand how a political system functioned it's got to be vital to understand how trump was possible how hitler was possible i mean that's of itself that's of of value other than that i take away and i always come back to two things that i hang on to as being things that I've learned from primarily a study of Nazism and meeting so many people who were either Nazi perpetrators or people who suffered terribly under Nazism. It's to me also valid when one's talking about Trump 
And those two things are these. The first is to absolutely emphasize the fragility of all the institutions around us that we take for granted. Rule of law, the freedom of the press and so on. And you would have thought, wouldn't you, where in the world are those things going to be more secure than in the United States of America? The United States of America, this great product and triumph of the Enlightenment, where in the world are freedom of press and rule of law going to be more sacred and secure? And look at what has happened. Look at the attacks that each of those two institutions have had. Imagine what would have happened to those two institutions had Trump gained another four years. During the war, Hitler had himself declared a supreme law lord. Imagine how Trump, you're telling who believes that Trump wouldn't have liked to have had himself declared supreme law lord? Come on, of course he, of course he would have if he could have. So fragility, number one thing to think about. Don't be complacent about governments around us in terms of where they're going. Remember, the Nazis got 2.6% of the vote in 1928. A few years later, Hitler's chancellor. It goes that quick. It's possible that can happen. And the second thing I think a lot about is to what extent are we who we are because of the circumstances of the culture around us. So to what extent did did people would, would people become more susceptible to becoming supporters of Trump? Were he there for longer? The fact is that by the late 1930s, a, a majority of Germans were at least overt or tacit supporters of, of Nazism. And, and part of the reason for that is what choice do we have as human beings? Someone, one um, German put it to me this way, you know, what do you want me to be a hero? I'm, I've got a family to raise. You know, I'm trying to just get on and live a life. So there's this notion that we will be changed and altered or many people will. There are, of course, some brave people who hold out against this and hold on and die for their principles and so on. But it, that more people than one thinks are influenced and changed by the culture around one. And that's you put those two things together, it's, it's pretty frightening. It's saying that actually, stop being complacent that you are who you are. And in different situations in, under the Nazis or in this situation, you would have held, oh, I would have been the brave one. How can you be so sure? How can you be so sure? Probably one of the two or three most people, influential, impressive people I've ever met, a man called Toivi Blatt, who was a Sonderkommander at Sobibor. He was a Jewish prisoner forced in order to stay alive, to work, doing horrendous work in the death camp of Sobibor of of, of of removing bodies, horrible, nightmarish things. And he said to me, look, people often ask me, what did I learn from that? And he said, I only learned one thing, which is nobody knows themselves. Nobody knows what they are capable of in different situations. Well, and on that note, (laughs) we're just lucky that we're not getting another four more years then. It's well, we wouldn't. We're all right. We're away. in Britain. We've got yeah. what we're dealing with. <laughs> well, we'll still be affected by it. Soon yeah. we yeah, start thinking that that was the norm, I suppose. Um, but thank you very much. That's thank really you. interesting.